Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in today. This is Aditi. And I'm Alina. And you're listening to Bitches Brew. A podcast where we chat about everything under the sun. Today we talk about embarrassing health problems and pleasure and sex as a form of self-care. We have two amazing guests to answer some very pertinent questions as well as stories we've received from our listeners about their experiences. So let's get into it. Embarrassing health problems. I've been wanting to do this episode for a long, long, long time. One of the reasons that I've wanted to do this for such a long time is because I think it's high time we start talking about these issues on a public platform because I don't hear enough about these issues out there. And so it still feels like they're stigmatized and we cannot share. And since it's something I've lived with for such a long time, I really just wanted to get out there and talk about it and maybe even educate some people a little bit about these issues because I know that there are so many women in particular and some men out there who are dealing with health issues that they don't necessarily even consider health issues and they're just making lifestyle compromises. It messes with their psychology and they don't acknowledge them and they don't treat them. You know, so I really wanted to start talking about these things on this platform so that we can at least start the conversation. Just to talk a little bit more about my personal experiences, like I wanted to address things like pelvic floor dysfunction and incontinence and urinary problems because I know I remember when I first started dealing with these issues, I was quite young. I was like 18 years old. Obviously, like I was too embarrassed to bring it up with anybody. It took a while for me to even bring it up with my own mother. And that would happen because I would have like certain accidents and I'd start crying or I'd start freaking out because I had an accident. And then she'd be like, what happened? And then I'd explain it to her. But for the longest time, we didn't really know how to begin addressing it even. Like went to a gynecologist initially who said it was something like a vitamin D deficiency. And I started taking vitamin D supplements and it didn't really help. There was nothing by way of like, okay, physiotherapy or medication or or bladder retraining or, you know, even addressing like stress, mental stress. So it was just something that I lived with for, I mean, up until now, actually. And it affected the kind of clothes I would buy. Anytime I was in a closed space, I would freak out because I was worried that I would have an episode or anytime I drank too much, I would have an episode. So I had to really like either worry about potentially having an embarrassing episode and then dealing with the judgment that comes with that or finding workarounds, you know, and that can get really exhausting. So one time I was in a forest shooting a film and there were two other men on the team, no women, And I was on my period and I was taking a video of a snake or something. And like halfway through, I really needed to pee. And I I have this like problem with urgency, like meaning if I have to pee, I have to pee like right then. I can't hold it in. And we were in the middle of a forest and (laughs) the only other person around me is a man, you know. So I had no choice but to tell him the situation I mean he was gracious enough to like maybe say okay I mean I kind of get it but then it was just I hated putting myself in situations like that because I don't necessarily want to share this information with somebody who probably won't get it like 
it was nice that he got it but for everyone like understanding person there are 10 judgmental ones out there it becomes really difficult to deal with these situations it was only in my mid to late 20s that I finally figured out what the issue was and that was because I found a good doctor who paid attention yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I think this particular year for the kind of year it's been, we've all been sort of uh, compelled to think about our health a lot. And I think this this year was also the year that I kind of experienced a chronic health problem related to my sort of uh, urinary system, which definitely took a toll on my mental health. And the more I discussed it with my friends, etc., I realized that pretty much every alternate woman that I knew had experienced some sort of a problem that related to her hormones or her diet or her lifestyle, but then kind of manifested itself physically in the body. And I suppose in a lot of ways, it is a little trickier for us because everything is pretty much regulated by our endocrine system. Moreover, a lot of medical research is sort of done keeping men in mind. So we anyway have a lot of data that is already skewed towards that. Uh, so, so we decided to talk to a gynecologist who... Aditi has had personal experience with and, you know, she trusts her implicitly. And um, yeah, that's what we're going to explore in this episode. So we have Dr. Cheetal Sabarwal with us, who is a consultant gynecologist and obstetrician. And she works at the Tulip Women's Healthcare Center and also Hindu Hospital. And she's also a pioneer in water work. And uh, she, I also go to her and she's uh, fantastic. And we have her on board to... Um, talk about the technical side and the medical side of these health issues and uh, yeah, just get into the details of why they happen and how to address them. So doctor, just to begin with, I wanted to understand a little bit like in the recent landscape of your practice, what are the kind of uh, sexual sort of problems or, you know, rep- reproduction related or period related problems that you encounter because from the few people uh, that we've spoken to, we're, we're also inviting a number of guests on this episode to kind of share their experiences. Uh, PMDD, PCOS, chronic UTIs um, has been a recurring theme and even PID uh, as a matter of fact. So I wanted to understand in your practice, like, do you come across these often? Um, how complicated do they get? And what is your method? you know method of addressing it i think in my current practice what i do find is that sexual health actually is unimportant in india in the indian clinical scenario it's a very 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 small percentage of patients who would give it any importance if at all and that is probably a lot more of the younger uh, women probably in your age group who are discovering that it is an important see in india first of all sexual health is important only in the early ages probably when you're dating courting or just married after you have children sexual health becomes completely unimportant and it's sad because unfortunately there's women who have sexual peak which is actually after that age and uh, they don't experience their peaks at the age they're supposed to at all. So sexual health is a very, very under-addressed aspect of women's health in our country. Uh, if you compare it, I, I remember telling someone about this example. If you, if you watch Sex and the City, you know, Kim Katral 
Sarah's character is only obsessed with taking hormones because she doesn't want to have anything affect her sexual health because it's very, very important to her. While the same person, if you talk to a 45-year-old or a 50-year-old woman uh, in India about sexual health or how her sex life is, I mean, she'll stare back at you asking you that how could you even think of it as important? Like, why would we even be discussing this, you know? So unfortunately, that's the sad reality of our women's health in this country. Um, I think in India, women do not address any health issue unless it kind of physically debilitates them. So which is why a lot of urinary complaints are often ignored. Even vaginal complaints are often ignored because they are not causing debility as such. They are only compromising quality of life, but they are not causing physical inability to perform your daily duties or, you know, kind of a little burning here and there. Frequency is just something you'll talk to three women about and they'll say, oh yeah, we have it too. And everybody will just deal with it and move on. Nobody will address this as a problem. So uh, there's a lot that needs to be addressed in terms of preventive or how should I say improving quality of life uh, in terms of women's health. We are still battling treatment. We haven't reached uh, addressing improving quality and prevention. Hmm, hmm, hmm. And, uh, you know, do you think as far as medical treatment is concerned, and I'm sure there's been massive strides in how uh, the, you know, these problems are treated. Why do you think, in your opinion, this has become so prevalent now, especially where, you know, every second woman, woman, irrespective of lifestyle, is experiencing some aspect of this medical concern? So, you know, the amazing part, being a gynecologist for so many years, now I realize that when it comes to women, there was always that joke that women have so many problems that they need a special doctor for them. You know, that's why you have a gynecologist, which, which was a really, it was never funny, but what it actually defined was that because everything about a woman is centered around menstruation and women's hormonal problems, every, they just cut off any aspect of a woman's health from uh, logic and blame it all on the hormones. So when you're willing to do that, when you're willing to attribute a headache to a hormonal issue, when you're willing to attribute a, um, a bloating, distension, gastric trouble, everything to a hormonal issue, then how can the one system, which you define as the reproductive system, not be responsible for all of those symptoms if it's not performing its function, you know? So if reproduction is the only job of the reproductive system, technically, and if intercourse is the primary function towards that goal, then how can that not be a part of a woman's health? You, you get what I mean? So, so to have regular intercourse is actually part of uh, maintaining health of women. So, just one second. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah. So, uh, when you're not performing, it's like this. So, 
every day you eat because that's the function of the digestive system. You drink water and you go to pass urine because that's the function of your excretory system. You are uh, breathing well and you know maintaining your pulse and respiration because that's your cardiovascular and respiratory system. So obviously there is a particular kind of function that is expected out of the reproductive system. But when that health is not maintained, it is going to have its repercussion. I'm not saying it's an essential function. Yes, we all understand that it's not a vital function. It's not a vital system. So it's not required to sustain life. It's not like the heart or the liver or the lungs, you know. So everything else you can, you can do with one kidney. You can do with the part of your liver. You know, those kind of things. So it's not vital. So if you don't have sex, you're not going to die. But a lot of things when they are working, functioning in order, they maintain health and they maintain your body, uh, what they call as the homeostasis, which is the internal environment of the body. So a lot of the correct reproductive function will also maintain sexual health and indirectly maintain your hormonal health. So a lot of things like regular and frequent intercourse maintains the moisture and the secretions of the vagina, which prevent dryness. Now, when this dryness is prevented, it prevents frequent infections of the uh, vagina which are very common you know you'll always typically have women who say i had sex after a very long time and i was really uncomfortable and i had a lot of burning and uh, and i was constantly itching and actually it's not an infection you don't it's it's not that infectious that you had one one episode of intercourse and in like the next two hours you had an infection so a lot of these things uh, which, which in our terms, we also call, there's a term called honeymoon cystitis. So when women get married, newlyweds go on their honeymoon, women will have severe burning in urine and urinary symptoms, which comes from an increased frequency of intercourse because of friction. So, but that's because it's all so new and the vagina is tight at that time. So the friction causes that little bit of irritation. The same thing happens when you've not had it for a long time and then the vagina is essentially dry. So the frictional irritation is what is actually causing those symptoms. So the simple treatment like using a good amount of lubricant or something can prevent these things. But your body is designed to treat, nat uh, to secrete natural lubricants in the form of uh, secretions from the glands which are present in the vagina. So if you have a regular healthy sex life, that's going to happen naturally. And that will maintain this and you will not have these symptoms. Which is, uh, I remember telling you Aditi once that I see more vaginal irritation and these symptoms among the affluent. And I never see it among uh, you know, the poorer sections of society where you would imagine that to be more frequent given their hygiene, their water their availability of sanitation facilities but you never see it but when you compare their sexual health the the women there are having sex probably three to four times a week while the urban woman is probably having is too busy and not having sex even more than once a month you know also also practices like excessive use of product to wash and clean and wiping vigorously with tissue and toilet paper and you know that obsession with cleanliness now there's nothing dirty about what's inside your body because it's inside your body you don't have infection inside your body infections enter the body from outside the body 
so the more stuff you do to introduce product onto your systems internally the more likely you are to have infections from it yeah because i find in general there is a blatant disregard for female sexuality even if you're looking at it you know aside from a pleasure point of view even things like consent safety you know there is a blatant disregard like i know a lot of who think you know sex is good if there's no pain involved like if that's our benchmark <laughs> yes yes it's true it's true there was I, i a few years ago there was a survey which was shocking because it revealed what how low the percentage of women who had actually ever experienced orgasm in their life was so it's actually it was shocking that statistic pretty much showed that women don't even know what is pleasure that is derived from sexual intercourse because like you said it's probably not painful so it's great you know Yeah in the same vein I want to bring up issues such as vaginismus um we actually have a voice note from a guest who is talking about vaginismus and carpal tunnel and her experience with it and uh I know several women who have this issue and again before they went to the gynecologist before they even addressed it as a problem and they often would if they were in committed relationships and they were unable to have sex with their partners or enjoyable sex with their partners they described it as intense pain and for the longest time they just lived with that pain sex was just a painful experience it was a painful uncomfortable experience and the prevalence of it was what shocked me and a lot of people didn't know what it was you know was it psychological was it physiological and my understanding of it is that it can be both you know it can be addressed by both a gynecologist it can be addressed by a physiotherapist and a psychotherapist because you know there's a multitude of factors involved you could be a victim of abuse and that could trigger you know all kinds of physical reactions you could have again pelvic floor dysfunction where your muscles spasm uncontrollably there are a lot of different issues here but because women's pleasure is so sort of low on our list of priorities we don't think it important to address something like this you know something like vaginismus um why do we want to talk about embarrassing health problems i think as we get into longer relationships long term relationships more serious and intimate relationships these things come to surface because at some point we have to discuss this smaller things like not being able to open a jar or not being able to lift a grocery bag um sometimes not being able to jerk off one's partner etc come to force and at one point or the other these things have to be addressed that's why Uh, what are the psychological effects of dealing with a chronic problem you can't talk about um i think with partners most often not at least in healthy relationships one should be able to talk about it um but in case that's an invisible illness it takes a lot of conditioning it takes a lot of actually unconditioning and learning for partners and for ourselves to 
sort of be kinder to ourselves um i've spoken to some women and non-binary people assigned female at birth who who've had who face vaginismus yeah so vaginismus because then you know they're not able to sexually engage with the partner and if the partner has needs then um where do they sort of take those are they going to explore different kinds of relationships are they going to look for uh, sexual intimacy out of the relationship a lot of these things come to um table and sometimes in conventional and especially um conservative settings women do give in irrespective of pain and and that's disastrous so it's important to talk about this especially as a medical condition to have more awareness about it and the fact that vaginismus doesn't have a proper treatment there's still a lot of counseling that happens for it and uh, there are certain methods one can try but there is no known cure or proper treatment for it as yet which is also a limitation of medical um, research i guess around women's bodies I mean I think women also set very unrealistic expectations for themselves because of what's now in popular media right like because of the popularity of porn for example women kind of want to look a certain way smell a certain way and I don't think they like we were so uncomfortable with our parts and that's one of the main issues I think like I know women for example who uh have things like ibs but again won't address it because gut health in women is seen as such a taboo thing you know you can't even admit that you poop so you know uh, that's another thing i want to actually address, address with you like how would something like ibs is it possible for that to be connected to your reproductive health as well so uh yes of course because a lot of patients with ibs have issues with absorption of uh uh you know of vitamins essential vitamins vitamins like b complex are responsible to maintain um skin and mucus membrane health you know so of course it directly affects vaginal health the gland secretions and all of that the other important factor is the gut flora and fauna so there's a lot of good bacteria in your gut and similarly there are a lot of good bacteria in the vagina typically what we call as the lactobacillus species okay which maintain the ph of the vagina at an acid ph which helps which is like a natural defense mechanism to prevent infections now typically uh, if if your digestion is faulty it also affects the gut flora which indirectly also affects the vaginal flora so the deficiency of these flora which maintain the acid ph of the vagina tend to affect the health of the vagina and make you more susceptible to vaginal infection so very often you find people who uh, get frequent loose motions typical features of ibs where they have bloating and you know uh, loose motions they will also end up constantly suffering from repeated vaginal infections or vaginal dryness and itching burning all of these which are symptoms of an altered ph so sometimes just supplementing them with probiotics actually helps 
and it's yeah i mean it sounds so simple when you say it um it does it does but see the, that's what i mean the problem happens when women's health is disconnected from the other systems of their body you know the minute down to the vagina you assume it's an infection you must have had sex and that's why you, your husband has the infection but when you get deeper and deeper into it sometimes it's as simple as a high sugar diet women are getting frequent vaginal infections because they're just having a lot of growth of yeast and that yeast is basically feeding off all the high sugar diet that you're having so you know just correcting your diet correcting uh, your food quantities uh, food uh, you know groups subgroups having more acidic uh, foods can actually alter the ph of your vagina and save you from re- recurrent vaginal infections so you have to address you you address the immediate problem but you have to address the underlying problem because you can't just say yeah sometimes you may have it like once in 6 8 months you know you've traveled somewhere you've used public bathrooms you've not been sure of your hygiene and you contracted an infection fair enough you had sex with a partner who had an infection you can get it and that's the end of it so a 5 to 7 day treatment will correct this and you're good to go and you don't have this symptom again that's fine but if a patient is going to constantly keep coming back to me with the same complaint repeatedly i have to get into an underlying cause because it's not normal for someone to do this you know i mean how does someone get to ibs why do you get to the diagnosis of ibs not every person who walks in with a loose motion complaint i'm not going to tell them you have ibs so so it comes from elimination of a series of other causes so it's a very similar process we need to eliminate multi system causes towards vaginal health i have ibs which is irritable bowel syndrome so i am gassy and bloated like for most of my life some days uh, my body becomes twice the size that it generally is and like all my clothes start to feel tight on me and my chest feels constricted and then some days i'll be normal at home but when i step out the gas starts building throughout the day and by the evening i become so big that my clothes start looking small on me and i mean i guess in a society where thinness is very important for beauty it it really does take a toll on my self confidence and uh, even like as women we cha- our bodies change throughout the month right but that just brings such a level of uncertainty in our self confidence because you look one way one day and then another day you just look completely different and it's super embarrassing when i'm like around people when i'm gassy because i'm in genuine pain and burping puking and sometimes farting is the only way that i can relieve the pain that's in my stomach or in in my body like my chest my shoulders my back but like i always think that everybody else will find it disgusting so i i have to do it in hiding uh, you know i have to go find a private place where nobody can see me and that can get very complicated with like friends or with partners because they also see that i am uncomfortable and i'm breaking away for some reason and a lot of this comes from anxiety and stress 
and sometimes in my sleep I get super upset and when I wake up I'm feeling nauseous and so it's very weird to share a room with people or like <laughs> I also sometimes pass gas in my sleep uh, and like when I wake up I'm just like in pain because at night I've had like some very disturbing thoughts so you know I have so much gas that when I wake up I'm already in in so much pain but just like speaking about this also makes me feel like oh I'm going to be judged because of this but it is just a physiological process of the body and it is not that much in my control and the only thing I can do is manage it and learn to find some confidence in the way I look or the way that I am uh, despite all of this and kind of figure out a way to live with it. Yeah, in the same vein, I want to talk about uh, uh, pelvic floor dysfunction because it's basically, I mean, it's a similar process of elimination that you go through, right? And it's more common about. So yeah, I just wanted to talk a little bit about it. What is pelvic floor dysfunction? How do you recognize it? So the pelvic floor is essentially an anatomical area, which is believed to be, you know, constructed by the presence of multiple muscles, ligaments, and uh, uh, parts like the uterus, the bladder, and, you know, the rectum and the anus. So all of these are part of the pelvic floor. So it is a concerted effort between muscles, ligaments, organs, and the nerves that supply to these organs and muscles. So if there is an anatomical dysfunction of the alignment of the muscles, ligaments, and the organs, it can often be very significantly disturbing for a woman, you know, so the bladder is lying low, the bladder's position is awkward, whereby it's, uh, how I say, it, the angle that it maintains with the urethra is compromised because of a lack of a basic support. There can be bladder dysfunction because if it's not in its normal anatomical position, which can help it function better. The body is beautifully designed to function like a machine. It's like if, if that part is kind of out of sync it's not going to perform its function as effectively so if the bladder is anatomically in a slightly awkward position it's not going to be as effective in controlling and releasing the urine as it's expected to be yeah it may not be it not it may not be significant like someone who is just not able to stand and is incontinent at all those times so it might happen sometimes it may not happen all the time it, it could be one of these things, but we need to understand its alignment. Of course, it's, it doesn't pop as the first diagnosis when patients come with this because, again, we try to rule out all other causes, like is there something that's leading to a frequent urinary infection? Is there a stone? Is there a bladder abnormality that's causing any sort of you know, incompetence or anything like that? Once we've ruled it out, we are forced to look at the entire pelvic floor. And if the pelvic floor is weak and or just it's it's just a dysfunction. It's not it's not just all in place. 
then you're going to have a series of symptoms that you are going to have to counsel the patient about. And then just a lot of physiotherapy, exercise, maybe certain, you know, medication to correct the innervation and the muscle coordination will help. I want to take it away from women's sexual health for a little bit since we are talking about embarrassing health problems and just address something that one would maybe consider innocuous like skin issues or things like that. Men suffer from a lot of embarrassing health issues that they, especially when engaging in sexual behavior, can't talk about. And it does present a very stressful situation. And it is always easier just to have a conversation about it. But we're so afraid of the judgment and discomfort that comes from it that we just don't have those conversations. And it would be nice if we lived in a world where men could open up and say, hey, yo, I have this issue and I'm uncomfortable and women could do the same. Um, We have another voice note chronicling one such problem. I was actually experiencing a bout of chronic UTIs, which is now thankfully in control. And my doctor would repeatedly recommend not having sex at all. And this went on for six, you know, six plus months. And finally, I reached a point where I was like, you know, this is not how one should be living when you're a sexually active, you know, in your late 20s, when you're literally taking all the precautions. So I went into a rabbit hole of research because I couldn't really bring myself to, and it was a he, I couldn't really bring myself to ask him these questions. And I came across, you know, various information and research on the kind of positions you can try, which would prevent the bladder from being inflamed and things like that. The kind of gels you could switch to, which I was fascinating. But then again, it's online, right? So beyond a point, I don't know the veracity of such things, which makes me think that if, I mean, I know doctors are really busy and they have a lot of things they take care of in a single day. But it does make me think that if this is something that doctors can advise or at least initiate that conversation while consulting a patient, um, the, the, the very that very relationship and the way the person looks at their own sexual wellness could begin to change in a very elemental way. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode and we hope you had a few good takeaways from this episode. And if you suffer from any chronic health problems that you have not addressed because they were too humiliating or embarrassing, we suggest that you do so now because we all have them and there are medical professionals out there who can help you. We've got something interesting for you in collaboration with Whip, a New Delhi-based journal merch shop creative incubator. Follow us on at Bitches Brew India on IG to know more. We hope you tune in to our next episode where we talk about mothers. Where we invite entries from you, our listeners, to share your stories about your relationship with your mothers. What have they taught you? What do you teach them? What do you guys fight about? What you bond over? The works. Until then, reach out to us at write to us bebrew at gmail.com or at Bitches Brew India on Instagram with your thoughts about sexual health and wellness. And just anything really that you'd want us to chat about. Don't forget to like, leave a comment and share.